Monday, August 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, Isaac Pino. Happy Monday, gentlemen. It's a brand new week. Happy it Monday. is a brand new week. You can follow us on Twitter at Market Foolery as our handle. Message from one of our listeners at Rob Rob who writes Market Foolery. How much do I enjoy thee? I get grumpy cat sad whenever Chris Hill says it's going to be a short week for us. Good news. It's Grumpy not gonna, cat it, said, wow. Yeah, it, it's not going to be a short week for us. It's just going to be a regular week for us. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk smartphones because that is very much in the news. We're going to talk retail um, and we're going to dip into the full mailbag. But let's start with the world of smartphones. Shares of BlackBerry up 5% this morning after the company said it has formed a special committee to evaluate, quote, strategic options that could include the sale of the company. Chris, that better be one hell of a special committee. Uh, yeah. I, was, I mean, coming I mean, up with a I'm, sale. I'm tempted to ask what took you so long, but uh, I'll go to what is probably the more relevant question, which is, who is buying BlackBerry? We've kicked this around for a long time. What is the fate of this company? It really seemed like we are finally uh, at the point that maybe we should have been six months ago, 12 months ago, something like that. But... If you look at BlackBerry, if you're a big tech company, uh, I know that Google is probably not looking at them since they're still working through all of the Motorola stuff from that acquisition. But I don't know. Isaac, I'll start with you. Who's kicking the tires of BlackBerry? Well, uh, you know, there has been some speculation in the past year. And like you said, it probably is a long time coming. But with BlackBerry, the question for me has always been, you know, they bought $4.5 billion of intangibles in the past five years. There's some value there, but is it better just to kind of sit back as an investor, as a, as a company looking to invest in that, uh, those assets, just sit back and wait for a fire sale or something like that? Or maybe the company goes bust and you're able to get them on the real cheap side. Uh, as you mentioned with Google and Motorola, very difficult to integrate some companies, tech companies especially sometimes. So maybe I just want the patents. Maybe I just want what's left in the, in the bucket right. after everything else has been cleared away. Right. I mean, as we've said before, at the right price... Any stock, any stock is for sale at the right price. Any company is for sale. So presumably at the right price. Maybe not the price that BlackBerry and its shareholders are looking for. But I, I, I hate to do this, but I just automatically think of a place with deep pockets, <laughs> and that's Microsoft. I was going to say deep pockets, and they've made some bad acquisitions before. Right? They have, but they've also I mean, I, yeah, they've made some good ones before have, too. Right. I mean, Absolutely. it's 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 not black or white. So I. I, I do tend to. I mean, that, that's kind of where my mind has been heading with this because I feel like when you look at, I mean, on the one on the one side of things, you have Google's Android operating system and Apple basically together dominate that smartphone market for more uh, more or less, and um, and so Windows does play a role there. Uh, I, I do wonder if they wouldn't see a BlackBerry in that portfolio of patents. And that and that share that they do have because they do have they do have some market share out there. I mean, it's it's not completely obsolete. Um, you know, if that might be something where BlackBerry finds itself in a little bit of a desperate seller situation, and Microsoft obviously does have the pockets to to take on something like that. It's certainly not out of the realm of, of possibility, but who knows, really? <laughs> do you think that this is something that moves quickly? Do you think that? Uh, it's it's hard for me to imagine that the sale of any company, much less one this big and this complicated. I mean, to your point, Isaac, you look at BlackBerry, and maybe there are some patents that they hold that are valuable. Uh, but I, I don't know. This this seems like the sort of thing where it could be 
early January 2014, and we're still talking about BlackBerry looking to sell itself. Yeah, that could very well be the case. And as you mentioned, you've already got a lot of other players out there that are doing quite well. Google's growing phenomenally. Four out of five smartphones run Android. Uh, Apple's doing quite well. I just don't really see another player besides Microsoft. They've already teamed up with Nokia. So is it kind of like two wrongs make a right? I I don't really see that coming out too well. Um, So I could see us talking about this, yes, January next year. Who knows? Um, And in the meantime, are they bleeding themselves, (laughs) wearing themselves thin? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there are some some stocks you can look at and think, well, gosh, I can make a quick buck and maybe just a couple of bucks. But uh, hey, I can get a quick 5-10% return on my money if I feel like they're going to be bought out at a slightly higher price. Do you look at BlackBerry as one of those stocks, or do you look at this, Jason, as a company where you just think, you know what, I'm happy to miss out on what's maybe an easy 10-15% pop, because ultimately, it could go in the other direction. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't look at this as a a stock worth worth getting into. I mean, I, I don't feel like the reward... Is is there? You don't you don't have enough upside really to to take on that kind of a risk, and it, it reminds me a lot of a company we've talked about before on the podcast, Interdigital Communications, uh, which is essentially you know a patent uh, a portfolio of patents, and, and so I mean I think that the problem is there's this degree of difficulty in, in really being able to assign the value uh, to things like that because they're, they're, the value is going to vary depending on what company may be interested. And, and so then you have to sort of look deeper into what what really does BlackBerry have? Is is are there just a couple of pieces of the company that Microsoft would be interested in more than others? Uh, so so I think really it's difficult to assign a value on something like that. There are definitely people involved uh, in this that that know way more than than just your typical everyday investor like you and me. Um, so for that reason alone, I mean I, I just there there are better opportunities out there to to uh, do to do well than to just try to speculate on something like this. Yeah, and you know, Chris, they've already changed their name from Research in Motion to BlackBerry. So if we're going to be talking about the story next year, maybe another name change is warranted. So it doesn't feel like we're beating the same horse. There you go. Um, sticking with smartphones, uh, Apple is holding an event on September 10th. This is presumably the rollout of the iPhone 5S. Um, should we, and I'm sure there'll be more bits of information that leak out over the next few weeks or so, and certainly we'll kick it around once the event happens, but this seems like one of those events that is teed up, not necessarily for a game changer, but for, hey, here's the new version, it's got faster processing, it's got a few extra bells and whistles, it's got a map system that's not going to put you in the middle of an Australian (laughs) desert, but other than that... Uh, I mean, is that your feeling at this point, Jason? This is just sort of a oh, okay, some some new bells and whistles, but no game changer, no wristwatch, no you know, driverless car. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see anything. I mean, I think probably the biggest game changer we could see, and I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think it's a game changer as much as it's something in an app, a move that Apple is going to more or less be forced to do here would be you know the lower the lower end uh, the lower end phone. I mean, uh, there are, there are all signs pointing towards. Uh, the fact that they are working on a, on a lower cost iPhone, which uh, you know, for the longest time we've been arguing that Apple's uh, you know reason for being is that they are this premium hardware producer, uh, and and that they have the the ecosystem to go with it. And they you know they control that the, the entire process, uh, but because of the premium hardware side, they were eliminating a lot of a lot of potential market share, uh, and that you know a lower cost phone will 
probably you know, at least open that that market up to them. Uh, and I like the fact that they will continue, obviously, to control that operating system. Uh, but man, I tell you, Google's Android platform has really picked up a lot of share in the past uh, couple of years. And I mean, that's just due to the fact that it's it's a very generic sort of platform that you can sort of use on a number of different mobile devices. So it's not just Samsung, you know, it's it's all of these other different uh, hardware providers that can use the, the Android uh, system uh, versus Apple's, which is really just, you know, relegated to Apple hardware. But uh, I think the low, the low cost phone is probably the big game changer to expect. Yeah, I hate to get caught up in these rumors, frankly, too. You go out there and you're searching around for what the next big product is going to be from Apple, and you run into speculation about the smaller, cheaper iPhone that you're you're referring to as the iPhone C, and people have established news sources saying this could stand for the iPhone 5 cheap. You know, C is for cheap. And just like all this speculation. (laughs) So you you look at kind of what the company's saying, and in their recent conference calls, they've said, like, you know, real beauty, real great design takes time. And you look at what the media is saying, and it's just like, I'll focus on what Apple's telling me because I think they've done it right in the past. They're not going to go for a cheap iPhone. That doesn't really speak to their image. So ecosystem's there. It probably makes sense to increase the battery life to do different things. But if it's not going to be a big release, I'm not going to speculate too much. And it shows you the inherent dangers of dealing with, uh, you know, companies that are primarily device makers. And and I'm as big an Apple fan as anyone. I mean, I think the stock represents a good deal today. But, you know, I mean, I think they are going to have to figure out a way to sort of take this to the next level in learning how to make more money when people use their devices, a la Jeff Bezos and Amazon, versus just making money when people buy their devices. And we saw even just this past quarter, I mean, gross margin took close to a six percentage point hit there because they're losing a little bit of that pricing power. And obviously, this cheaper phone will uh, you know, continue, I think, to ding that, that gross margin line. So the days of these really lofty margins for Apple are probably numbered, which means they're going to have to figure out new ways to really monetize that, that ecosystem. And, and maybe that's what ultimately the TV product, if they ever actually come out with it, will, will help do. But yeah, for now, we're going to have to kind of continue to speculate and, and wait. J.C. Penney is back in the news, and not for particularly good reasons. Uh, Bill Ackman, the activist investor who took, I believe, somewhere in the neighborhood of an 18% stake yep. in J.C. Penney, he was the guy who forced out Mike Ullman, the CEO, brought in Ron Johnson. That didn't work out. Mike Ullman is back as presumably the interim CEO, and now he's looking to boot him again. And this this just seems like a, when you have board members lining up against you, then maybe it's time as an investor for you to just take your chips and go home. I don't know. What what do you make of the latest twist in this soap opera, Jason? I mean, I feel like 2013 for Bill Ackman has served as a great example for investors of what not to do. I mean, between Herbalife and, and JCPenney, I mean, he's obviously not having the greatest of years. But I mean, I think to to, you know, just a bigger picture sort of look at this. I mean, it's a great example of, I mean, Bill Ackman obviously is a very smart guy, a good investor. He's got plenty of track record of, of success. But, but you know, he's gotten into the situation with JCPenney where I think he, he really felt like he knew what was best for the company. And, you know, it's just the fact of the matter is he, he doesn't. I mean, I think that, that is quite obvious. I mean, and you can't just play leadership musical chairs like that and, and think that you're going to be able to get away with it for only so long. I mean, Ullman, you know, over the weekend you heard Howard Schultz, the uh, CEO of Starbucks, come to Ullman's defense. And Ullman sits on the chair of Starbucks's board, uh, or he sits, sits on Starbucks' board, uh, so I can understand why, why Schultz was was coming to his defense. But but I think it does make a lot of sense here because, you know, as soon as – like, Ullman was the guy that Ackman wanted out. 
Right. And now he's back, and now he's kicking him, you know, out again. Uh, and you know, all of a sudden, you've got this entire company now that is virtually lined up against you. And and you know, ultimately, I mean, shareholders lose. The company, I think, more or less loses because they can't really, you know, get any kind of consistent vision there in in the CEO seat. Uh, and you know, you still have this this investor who, with, with just enough hubris, to feel like he knows what's best for the company when, in fact, maybe he doesn't. We've had Nell Minow, the corporate governance expert and film critic, uh, as a guest on our radio show a dozen times or so in the last few years, and she's constantly pushing for and rightfully so, better corporate governance, stronger boards of directors. This seems to me like one of those examples that is just screaming for a strong board, Isaac, because, I mean, we talk about management and how important it is, and we want strong leaders at the companies that we own shares of. But this also seems like an argument for having a strong board in place, because if you have a strong board, then it's far less likely that an Ackman or a Dan Loeb or whoever uh, is going to come in and, and really sort of push you around. And to, I mean, to be fair, to Jason's point, Ackman's track record is, you know, he, he's he's got some wins in his past. But I don't know. This just seems like one of those things where I would just view it almost automatically as a red flag if I own shares of a company and an activist investor all of a sudden took stake and because it just seems like there's there's trouble in the shop if uh, if someone like Bill Ackman is is swooping in, yeah, you definitely want personalities on your board that are going to conflict at times. But you want the board as a whole to make decisions as a team, strong decisions, as you were saying, and you want some diversity in there. You don't want someone to be able to just kind of take the reins and say, "Here's how we should run the company." I mean, maybe he should just run for CEO and campaign for himself in there or something because he seems so tied up in this. But um, yeah, it, it just seems like Ackman's been really, you know, Schultz to come out and describe his actions as despicable. You know, it's pretty aggressive. Uh, a lot of things that the current CEO is dealing with are cleaning up the past mess that's left in place where right. you've got pricing issues and display issues and just the whole gamut of the last CEO uh, of Johnson coming through here. And so it is kind of too soon to be really pressing these buttons like he is, um, even though that's kind of the thing he does. It reminds me a little bit of back when uh, David Einhorn came in to try to shake things up at Apple, I guess, in regard to to some to shareholder voting issues or whatever it was. And, and you know, Warren Buffett was, was asked about that in in Einhorn, and I mean, if he were going to offer Tim Cook advice, what would he say to Tim Cook? And Buff was like, "Look, I would just tell him to ignore Einhorn altogether, completely ignore him, and just move along with the business and run it, you know, for five to ten years of success. Don't don't pay attention to to these day to day sort of gyrations. You can't run a business in order to make the stock price go up every single day like that. And so I think you know, from from the one one hand here, you have the ultimate conflict of interest. I mean, we all invest in companies to make money. I mean, there's there's that's that's the obvious statement, and, and Ackman is no exception here. I, I would venture to guess that he did not invest in J.C. Penney with a five to ten year timeline right. in mind. You know, and so I, I think that his his vision of success is much different than really the actual success or the actual road to success that J.C. Penney needs to take, and that's where I think the big the biggest problem is. You can always email us, radio at fool.com is our email address. That's radio at fool.com. Or you can submit questions on Twitter, at MarketFoolery is the handle. Question from Bert Skirton in Fresno, California. He writes, DNDN down 26%, good value or good riddance? That's uh, the ticker symbol for Dendrion Corp. 
It fell precipitously last Friday. And I should point out that just over the last week, shares down more than 35 percent. Yikes. Um, um, For those unfamiliar, a quick uh, 20 seconds or so on Dendrion Corp. Yeah. You said this was Burt. Oh, uh, this right? is Bert. Bert, okay, yeah, Bert. I don't know if you own or are thinking about buying or selling. I, I really can't advise you to buy or sell in that in that regard. But I can give you some information in regard to Dendrion and bio uh, biotechs in general. Um, you know, a lot of these biotechs they are very uh, dependent on you know one or two drugs that they've got going through the pipeline, and Dendrion is very much that way. Uh, Provenge is the drug that uh, they have made their money with. And to put this in context, in 2012 they made uh, about 325.3 million in sales, and all of that was attributed. To Provenge. So that was their wow. sole source of income. That's what you call you know, a company that is very levered to that one particular drug. That, that, and that's, that's common with a lot of biotechs. They'll invest a lot of money in just one drug to get it you know, through the pipeline successfully because, because that's an arduous process. Uh, so when you have a situation where uh, you know, sales are projected to not be as robust as maybe you once anticipated, uh, you get a sell-off like we saw in Dendrion. And to top it all off, you know, there is a leadership change uh, there with the CFO leaving and, and looking at their pipeline. Their pipeline is full of potential, but it's all very early stage potential. So the sell-off was very warranted. Uh, unless you know something specifically about biotechs and about Provenge and why you think that should be a more robust market than than they're looking at today, I don't know that I would be looking at today as necessarily a buying opportunity. If it is, it's going to be one of those stories that takes many years to play out, and who knows? Maybe Dendrion's an acquisition target at that point. But you know, I, I can't, I can't sit here and say that it's necessarily a buying opportunity. Do you look at biotechs at all, or is that an area you just steer clear uh, of? Pretty much steer clear of that area. But I, I do uh, talk to the healthcare guys a lot uh, on Fool.com, and. The idea of a potential drug being in the pipeline that could also diversify the revenue base was there. And the feedback I got was, we've heard this every quarter. It hasn't really come to fruition. And the outlook looked bad in the most recent results. So not a lot to hang your hat on. And you have Johnson & Johnson also developing drugs in the same space. So more risk at this point, I would say, than reward for investors. So, yeah. Last week, we talked about the new waffle taco from Taco Bell being rolled out to three markets, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Omaha, Nebraska, and Fresno, California. And Bert Skirton didn't just have the question about Dendrion. He also uh, volunteered to go out uh, as a resident of Fresno, and he went... He found a waffle taco, tweeted us a picture of it. A selfless act. Uh, selfless, <laughs> on-the-ground research. Uh, dozens of listeners, just an army out there. Um, and uh, wrote, uh, it tasted better than it looks. Uh, it was weird when I was handed syrup and hot sauce. Um, I, I'm glad that it tasted better than it looks because I looked at the photo and I was like, ooh, that does not look. Um, uh, wonderfully appetizing, but uh, and that's a big hurdle to clear. I mean, when you're looking at food and it doesn't look good, yeah. you have to have some intimate knowledge that you know it's going to taste good. Yeah, otherwise, right? I think you just flash back to that point when you're a kid and your mom, you're just your mom has served you something and you're just looking at it like, what is this? I've never, and it's like, no, it's good, it's good. Just, just you know, some type extra. of casserole. Yeah, like Jason and I were talking about it, and Taco Bell advocates the fourth meal, which oh. I think is just. <laughs> totally focused on late night binging, which was about the only time that it looked like this would actually be an appealing food item. Yeah. <laughs> so Distinctly possible. 
I can relate to that, though, the whole notion of uh, syrup and hot sauce, where the, the, there's just that disconnect that happens. But uh, I don't know. I, 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 I will say this. I'm not rushing out to buy them, in part because the closest one is in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So yes. that's that's more than uh, a little bit of a drive. But Bert can ship a few over here, right? Yeah. <laughs> really? You, you, you want to have a taste of a waffle taco that's been shipped cross-country? You'd be my guest. No, but I, would, I, I was just going to say, I would not bet against Taco Bell. Not after the Doritos Locos Taco. I'm not betting against them. I don't know. We'll see. Isaac Pino, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Pool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That does it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl, who survived his family vacation. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.